Hi, and welcome to the Dorothy House podcast. My name is Holly, and I'm a project manager in the communications team. In this series, we're going to be focusing on some of the amazing staff who are part of the Dorothy House family and the work that they do, both here at the hospice and across our community. So today I'm joined by Rebecca, who is a nurse specialist here at the hospice. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Holly. It's great to have you here, and I am really excited to hear a little bit more about your role here at the hospice. So tell me a bit about what it involves. Okay, so I've been working with the hospice for 23 years. I'm a nurse specialist, um, and I work in the community um, with um, alongside GPs, district nurses, um, and community nurses. Yeah, and so my role really is to work with patients who have got very complex needs. So not just the patients with their families too. So sometimes that's with children um, and obviously partners, husbands, wives. Yeah, and so my role is to go in and assess patients, find out really how they're coping with the journey with living with an incurable illness, which is mostly with cancers, but obviously we also work with other patients who have heart and lung disease, maybe um, hematology diseases. So yeah, my role is to assess them, to find out um, how they're coping with their symptoms, um, with the emotional mm. approach to their to their illness, how they're being prepared really for um, the future, what that might look like, um, how we can support them in the best possible way. So really trying to hear what their own needs are and how we can support them in the best way. So how do patients get referred into you? Okay, so the majority of our patients are referred by the GPs, district nurses, the hospital consultants and nurse specialists there, but also patients can self-refer. So just thinking now about what a typical day looks like for you. So describe that to me, because I think most of us wouldn't have, you know, a a clue. We're used to seeing nurses maybe in a hospital setting or at a GP surgery. So what does it look like to be a nurse in the community? Okay, so I would start my day in front of my computer, checking in my messages. So our patients are able to phone in on an advice line. So if one of my patients has phoned in overnight, then I would be following up on that phone call. Um, I would be um, checking on, sometimes we cover our colleagues, so I might be looking at their work, um, looking at anything urgent that's come through. Mm. Um, I'm also, if I've made some changes to my patients, um, drugs, for example, then I might be ringing them and checking how that's helped them with their pain or whichever symptom we're trying to help manage. So um, we also work as a team. So we'd have, nowadays it's on Zoom, so we'd have Teams meetings. Um, because we are lone workers and it's really important to be supported. And so that is a very much on our agenda to actually be um, able to be supported as a team, being able to share um, scenarios, patients that were challenged by, um, so we can share knowledge, share experience, share each other's and tips. So practically, what does it look like after you've done the the upkeep side of it and checking in on everyone and mm. checking um, systems and things like that? Yes. Then, then what? So then I've um, pre-prepared which patients I'm going to see on any day. So I get in my car. I have mm. a beautiful drive in the countryside because I'm one of the fortunate nurses that works out um, in um, our far reaches of um, our patch. Um, so I'm going into a patient's house, I'm checking in how they're doing, really wanting to hear and listen to what 
they're um, living with, what they're um, yeah just needing support with. So yeah, going in, and they'll tell me about their symptoms. They'll tell me how they're coping emotionally with what lies ahead, with what what's going on in that day. Um, yeah, sometimes just helping with the dynamics within the family, um, just being that person that's being present with them, able to really listen um, and support, guide, point them to, in the right direction, um, liaise for the, with them, for the, with their GPs or district nurses. It's very much a team approach here at Dorothy House, but also out in the community. Mm. So that's quite a unique role just to, um, yeah. yeah, working with the different disciplines. You're a real advocate for the patient then and for their family Absolutely. and helping them to articulate the things that they're feeling or experiencing to make Absolutely. sure that they get the best yes. help. Yeah, And I think it's so crucial just to really, really be prepared to listen because often I find that it's as you're about to leave their home, yeah. their patients will tell you really what mm-hmm. is at the core of their mm. concerns at that time. And um, you're looking, I love it, you know, just being able to be in people's homes, you pick up lots of different cues and mm. you see what makes them who they are, who what defines them. So, you know, whether it's family, whether it's their home, whether it's pets, mm. their garden, yeah. their yeah. hobbies. Um, yeah, and you, and you just, yeah, it's just such a privilege really to be mm. here with families. Um, so are there any particular patients or families that you've worked with that really stand out to you from over the years? When I saw that you were going to ask me that question, Holly, it, you know, lots of families came flooding back to me and it has been just an amazing experience working with people. And um, I just think that's the joy of our job, that because we're working with people every day is different. Mm. It's just relationally, we have different connections with people. And I'd say that some of the most memorable are some of the young families that I've worked with, um, you know, people can be so frightened and mm. fearful of the role of the hospice and, yeah. and what we're going to do. And, and yet we can come in and, and make such a difference. And you see that pleasure. You see them beginning to realise that they've got a life to live mm. and that we're not all about death and dying. Mm. And just enabling that, enabling some really tricky conversations, mm-hmm. particularly if you can imagine with young families where, you know, parents are just heartbroken at thinking mm. of leaving their children. Yeah. But how we enable them to be able to prepare memories for their future. Yeah. And have those really tricky, difficult, challenging conversations with them. And sometimes because we're that face in their home, um, we can um, refer back into the to the to the hospice and look at them being supported by the Children's Young People Service. But sometimes the families. Mm. But the parents want us as nurse specialists to do some of that work. Mm. And um, yeah, it's just been just incredible. Just particularly when you talk to children and their insights of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it blows your mind. And it's, yeah. Really People at home won't be able to see that you're smiling because <laughs> you you love your job. I do. I can tell. Yeah, yeah I yeah. do. It's the most amazing job. It's the strangest job. And lots of people... If they're not in it, it's really hard to talk about it because mm. they either think you're an amazing angel or you're completely weird. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. and I think death and dying is really still very taboo in our society, mm-hmm. and that's really sad. But um, I'm hoping we're trying to dispel some of those myths yeah. around death and dying. But um, it is—it's just an incredible privilege. And when you when you make a difference to a family, it's it's so mm. incredible. It's just—it's such a 
this big gratifying yeah, yeah. It's hugely gratifying. Yeah. yeah yeah because I guess if you're not in the hospice environment it's mm. easy to just think you're going to walk through those doors or you know either here at our site at Winsley or wherever and just think oh it's just going to be nothing but tears and and mm. somber mm. um people walking around with sad long faces yes. um but it's not like that not so how do you cope emotionally with some of that how do you deal with some of the um the sadness and the grief and that mm. that you no doubt experience because you're not a robot so no and I suppose actually when I don't feel mm. some of what my patients are feeling their families I'm actually more concerned mm. than when I'm pulled emotionally into that situation and but the way I suppose I cope is remembering what I'm part of a team mm. and there's always somebody there to listen. There's yeah. always somebody at the end of the phone. Um, and that's really helpful. Um, and we have a lot of laughter. Mm. Um, I suppose that's the, the good side of our black humour in a way mm -hmm. as, as British people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, also just being healthy, running. I do run. Mm -hmm. um, we ha I have something called clinical supervision. So it's a hospice recognize that we do need that support and we have somebody outside that we can come and share some of the things that we're challenged by um sad about yeah so we are we are well supported but it mm -hmm. it is it is a strange but a very amazing job <laughs> mm, brilliant so i remember my very first ride along was with you mm -hmm. going out with um a nurse specialist so something we try to do at the hospice um is helping the non-clinical staff members go out with clinical yes. staff members really to get that insight into what it is that's happening on the ground mm -hmm. and i remember um one of the patients that we visited um was was done with treatment she just ha didn't want to go on any mm -hmm. longer with that yeah. and that that must be um quite a tricky process to navigate with your patients and their yes. families and that yes. so um I, I guess I'm wondering um what is it doesn't look the same for every patient or no. every family so no. how do you navigate that and does how does Dorothy House support you with training mm -hmm. or anything to have yeah. those difficult conversations like you talked about how do you prepare someone for the yes. end and I it's a really good question Holly and I think it's yeah, we can feel when we're going into people's homes that we're treading on eggshells at times. Mm. Um, and I think for, for me, I suppose it's how we ask the questions. Mm. Um, it's how we approach the subject of death and dying. Um, and it's going to be different, like you say, for each family. But I might say, say, for example, I might say to a family that some of the questions I might ask today might be hard to hear. Mm. And they are, they are try, quite difficult to ask. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like it's a really important question. Mm. Um, and so I suppose I've given them a pre-warning. Mm -hmm. Or I might say something like, you know, we really want to hope for the best, but can we also think about preparing for the worst? Mm. Um, and so I, I, because we sort of ask those questions very soon after meeting somebody, we sort of perhaps drip feed it into the conversations and we're not just talking about one-off visits with our, with patients that would be quite unusual yeah we're in a relationship we're on a journey mm. so we might start at the beginning by asking some some gentle questions about have you ever thought about mm. where you want to be when you can't care for yourself mm. and that that might lead to actually um have you ever considered where you would like to spend your last few days mm. weeks um, so yeah, there's different ways to talk about it, but it's so essential because 
actually some people will be completely against dying at home mm. and we've got to think of an alternative some people might be saying I, there's no way i want to go anywhere other than home yeah or yeah. i want to die in the hospice and so we do need some time to prepare mm. and actually what i often find is the patient might be well ready to talk about these conversations but you're getting negative vibes from the family right. you're going to struggle with that more right. so you you you're, you're having to judge the situation with every family mm. because the thing is if you alienate them then they're never going to have conversations with you about that but yet they're essential and um and i think sometimes once you just dip your toe and you gently open up and give them an opportunity to talk then they really can start to feel more relaxed and able and actually really feel some relief that they've got things off their chest and mm. got their wishes down. And when we can look at putting that in pa on paper, um, it's really useful for the family to be able to hear the wishes of the patient verbally. Um, yeah. So, so we just recognise it's never easy. Mm. Um, and you might need to debrief after conversations like that with a, with a colleague. Um, but I think the more you try, mm. the, the it does become more natural to do that mm. and it's it's the thing that we're all going to be facing yeah and i think if you perhaps what's good as well is to consider what you want for yourself mm -hmm. and maybe sort of practice asking yourself that question really mm. um so just to be more familiar with with talking about death and dying absolutely yeah i think to some degree the pandemic has kind of helped with that mm. because people think a little bit more um about death and dying, about their wishes, about yeah. sorting their affairs, things like that. Absolutely. It's a little bit less taboo than it probably used yes, to be. Yes. Um, do you find that with patients you're talking to now? Well, definitely. I definitely, I think it's been very much more visual on the television, hasn't it? On the news. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, but I think sometimes some of our patients are just in shock or they're so focused on treatment. Mm. There's so much more treatment available now right. for patients. Right. So there is often mixed messages. So the consultant will say, this is incurable, but I'm going to treat you with mm. this chemotherapy, immunotherapy, radiotherapy, you know, different sorts. People go down their own avenues of, of looking and sourcing sure. treatment. So you're sort of having to balance these conversations with actually people who are really sometimes quite fatigued and poorly, but also people, people that are living, hoping that the next available treatment is going to do more. Mm, um, prolong their yeah, life. Yeah, prolong in their life. Yeah. Longer. So, yeah. And for the families as well, because they're in that limbo too. So you're the patient's nurse, but you're just as much there for the family members. I think yes. that's quite interesting. I remember another um, patient that that I saw with you. Yes. And actually you had had a quiet conversation with the wife um, who wasn't the patient in the kitchen yes. saying she really needed to take a few minutes out and just go for a coffee or go do yes. something because yes. you could tell after multiple visits that she was struggling. Yes. Um, and probably most people don't have that inside view into that. And especially, yeah. I suppose as their uh, as the patient deteriorates, family members probably close off even more, trying to just they just have to hunker down and focus. Mm -hmm. So um, realizing that uh, their own welfare is uh, is suffering is quite yes. a unique place to be. Oh, definitely, because if they're suffering, then that will have an impact on the patient. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and um, and I always sort of see often that there's more than one victim. To mm. living with an incurable illness mm. um and actually often the patients can feel really guilty that the 
their illness has had an impact on the family. Sure, sure. So if they can see us supporting the family, mm-hmm. it makes them feel more hopeful, more positive and yeah, relieved really. So yeah, it is a yeah, it is a part of our role to, to mm. definitely care for families and yeah. the significant others in the in the home. Yeah. And their support network. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then we can refer them into the hospice for family support. Mm-hmm. Um companion service volunteers mm-hmm. yeah so okay so my final question mm-hmm. to you is uh, what would you say to someone who's considering a career in nursing because we're dealing with people mm. every day is different mm. and that just makes it exciting it keeps it fresh and you can see when you make a difference to someone's life there's nothing more rewarding um yeah and i and what i would say is like some people really uh, fearful that coming into the role of and particularly within the hospice yeah but I just think just step over the threshold because you'll realize that this is a place where there is lots of laughter mm. there's lots of fun there's hope there's so many blessings in just um, mm. working as a team feeling like um, just so fulfilled when you make um, yeah just bring joy to, to, to families yeah um, and there's so much support to be able to do that. Mm, mm. I remember when I first um, came to the hospice, the doctor saying to me, you know, we expect you to be ringing us, ringing in to us, Rebecca, mm. and we'd be worried if you weren't. And so, you know, just take the masks off. Let's not pretend that we know something we don't. Let's yeah. just be bold to ask the questions. And mm. if we don't know, somebody will ask and help us, support us. So mm. don't, have, don't have a fear. And if you just love working with people, come along. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for chatting with me today. It's, it's a been great. Thank you, Holly. And if you at home would like to find out more about our services at Dorothy House, or perhaps you'd like to know more about joining our team, um, working with, alongside Rebecca with the nurse specialists, you can visit us at dorothyhouse.org.uk. Um, have a look there for current jobs that are opened. You can also just keep up with our latest news, our events, and more by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. So thank you so much for joining us today. Bye-bye. Bye.